Hello listeners and welcome back to another episode of the Plus Dave podcast, the Tottenham Hotspur theme show brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. It is North London Derby week and this week we are going to be looking back on a game that delivered about as much as it promised in terms of scandal and drama and goals, yellow cards and controversies and all the usual nonsense that we expect from that fixture. We're going to be deep diving into all of that of course and looking ahead to the Liverpool game as well and joining me me as always are my usual guests but in addition we do have an extra special guest joining us this week i'm delighted to announce a special guest joining us on the show for the first time making his plus dave debut in north london derby week just like brennan johnson at the weekend the host of scarfy spurs talk and the park lane podcast one of the busiest and hardest working podcasters out there in the spurs scene an official nominee at this year's football content awards pleasure to introduce Harry Scarf. Harry, welcome to the Plus Day podcast. How are you doing, mate? Uh, thank you very much. I love that little intro. No, it's great to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Been looking forward to making my debut. Looking forward to getting into it. So yeah, massive thank you for having me on. No problem. Our pleasure and great to have you on. And we were just saying a minute ago, we were just trying to make sure we got all the facts straight. So am I right in thinking you are 14 years old, right? But on. Yeah. Spot on 14. So you were born in 2008. So I guess the question I've got and a question a lot of people will have hearing that is, have you lived your entire life in a world where Spurs have not won a trophy or did you technically make it? No, I didn't make it, sadly. What a horrible question. Perhaps I was the curse. No. <laughs> I haven't won a trophy <laughs> since I've been born. Uh, then we got close a few times, but no, that's quite a painful stat because we won the League Cup 2008. It was about exactly three, four months um, Yeah before I was born. So yeah, that hurts a bit. We you know, when that's mentioned. So yeah, not, not something yeah. I'm proud of. Yeah. <laughs> just extra fuel for banter. Not that you'd have remembered it anyway if it was a few months no, inside of it, but it's just, just <laughs> another stick, isn't it? Oh, well, hopefully we can change that soon with Big Ange anyway. Oh, so. um, and as I mentioned in the intro, of course, you have just been nominated for the Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Award at the Football Content Awards. And of course, that is in no small part down to the incredible work that you've been doing to raise awareness around autism and neurodiversity in football and beyond. And of course, you've spoken a lot about how you are artistic yourself and yeah. your experience as a football fan with that. So it'd be great at some point in a little while um, when we come back to it to talk a bit about that and what the experience is like growing up as a football fan with autism and how that affects your viewing experience and obviously a bit more about it and the stuff that you're doing in the background to raise awareness of it. But we'll come back to that in just a moment. But let me just introduce all these old men first, if that's all right with you. And we'll come right back to you in just a while. No uh, starting with Elio, who has been here since the very beginning, every episode. Elio, welcome back and welcome back from Cyprus where you watched the North London Derby. How was your viewing experience out there in the lovely Mediterranean heat with a, a Kia in your hand, presumably? Good viewing experience. I mean, it was outdoors and a beautiful large TV, sun shining on my back, family around me, and I very much had a sea to either celebrate in or drown in, depending on the result afterwards. So <laughs> thank, thank God it wasn't the latter. Uh, no, re- really, really good time. Having said that, having realized quite how big a curse Harry's entrance onto this planet has been for Spurs, I, I have to ask one question. Why didn't you support Arsenal instead? <laughs> I could never do that. <laughs> no, no, no. Come on, don't even don't make jokes like that. Also joining, as always, is Sox. Sox, welcome back. Probably our hardest test of the season so far. Probably the worst fixture out of the way now. It's got to be plain sailing from now on for Spurs, right? You know, surely onwards and upwards and we're going to win the league. Uh, not this season, but next season or the season after, sure. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think... Um, I'm just doing it to wind you up at this point. <laughs> I think... I think the sense of relief was palpable 
at the full-time Warsaw, so, and I'm sure we'll kind of get into that a bit further, but that is kind of my overriding emotion. It's a fixture that is my most hated every single season. I, I hate everything about it. Yeah. I remember at kickoff, I just turned to my brother watching it on TV and yeah. I said, why is their pitch twice the size yeah. that it normally is? <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least, of course, to the man who the podcast is named after. It is the Plus Dave himself, our resident Leeds fan, our outsider. Welcome back for another episode, mate. I hope you enjoyed the spectacle that was the North London derby. Are we being biased and saying that that was actually a really, really good football match? No, I was prepped for this, Stags. So yeah. I've got a separate football group. They know a lot more about football than you idiots. Uh, and they're a, lot, they're a lot more spread out across all of the teams and all of the leagues they as well. They support Spurs, you mean? Uh, yeah, we've got we've got supporters of Premier League teams all the way down to, I think, National League South, I think. But yeah, one of those friends on that WhatsApp group responded just before halftime, how is the North London derby always good? Mm-hmm. And then 15 minutes into the second half, he went replied to his own message saying, seriously? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, the North London Derby is always yeah. good. It always delivers. It's always a heated match. There's always a bit of bite. There's always a bit of needle in it. And once again, it was a well, it was a super Sunday match that absolutely delivered. Great to watch. And yeah, glad I took the time to watch it. Like I told you guys last week, it is the biggest match on the football calendar. It may not be the two best teams on the football calendar, but it is the biggest match. Yeah, but it was two very good teams, to be fair, which is not always the case, and certainly hasn't been the case for quite a while. And it's nice, I suppose, from a football fan perspective, objectively looking at it, that both teams are performing at the highest level. So one thing that certainly has not changed over the last 14 years, Harry, is that we hate playing Arsenal and they generally get the upper hand on us. But I just want to get a bit of a summary of your experience growing up as a Spurs fan because obviously and and let me take this opportunity to apologize in advance for the several times throughout this podcast that we're going to make you feel very young and make ourselves feel very old no by the fact that obviously you're young enough for us to be your parents but I don't know what it's like sort of growing up in this era so you having been born in 2008 I presume your earlier memories of Spurs and when you started getting into supporting and, and the earliest things you remember of Pochettino, right. Pochettino teams what, how far back does it go for you when did it all start what are your earliest memories of in terms of players and teams and moments yeah good question it, it doesn't actually go back that far so when I mentioned some people people go oh, actually it isn't that long ago the first season I would say that I, yeah. I, I watched every single game that I could uh, went to you know the majority of the games had a season ticket at the time was probably I would say maybe the season before or, or the year we got to that Champions League final I remember that very well that's when I, I, I remember you know, yeah, the best bit of it and that was I mean a great first year to properly follow if you like I've been going before yeah. I think I went a couple of years before I think it's a game like West Brom was the first game I went to but in terms of properly following it it probably was that Champions League year which wasn't that long ago it's been obviously <laughs> downhill since then uh, but that <laughs> yeah. year itself was it was a really good one anyway so good memories in a way <laughs> yeah yeah I, mean, I was gonna say that so that's kind of the reverse experience for a lot of us because we all grew up in the dark days right and I feel like it's it's kind of you started on a high and it's been a sort of a slow triple downhill ever since until hopefully fingers crossed this season um, but we we kind of grew up it seeing some of the middling mid-table very uninspiring Jerry Francis uh, Christian Gross I'm sure you've heard all about these uh, yeah, these yeah, days under Irish sugar and that's kind of what a lot of us were brought up on so um, I feel like even the content say Mourinho years for a step up from that but obviously yeah. it's all relative isn't it and of course to bring it back to what we touched on earlier on and again congratulations on your nomination for, for the award so 
you speak a lot about autism in general and about yeah. autism and football and obviously what the experience is like watching it. How, how do you feel like being autistic has affected your experience as a football fan specifically? And again, I appreciate this is only your experience and it's not fair to say that every autistic person has the same experience, but what do you think the effect has been in terms of how you enjoy football and how you watch football? Yeah, great question. Um, yeah, I don't have anything that you know, kind of is, is stops me from going or or like really getting involved when I go to football, but I, I recognise and know that for, again, not all, because that would be wrong to generalise, but for majority uh, autistic fans, yeah. that, there'd be their struggles, whether it's the noise or certain bits on a match that they struggle with, and that's why I think it's important that the club provides them, you know, if they need it, you know, to meet their needs, if you like. So, but yeah, for me, it didn't affect me. All it has done, really, my really, really close interest uh, always was football and always was Spurs. Yeah. And I've kind of made it so it's, it's in my everyday life. I'm, I'm talking about it. I'm watching it. There, there yeah. isn't, there isn't a, I can't think of it's a like day. Obsession. Recently. Yeah, day recently has gone by where, you know, yeah. where Tottenham has been mentioned or I haven't mentioned Tottenham. So for me, I love that. And it you know, gets the best out of my day, brings a smile to my face. So that's what's, that's what's got me through difficult times in and out of football. And really, it's been really helpful. And that's yeah. one of the reasons that I set up my podcast, got involved in one in Parkland podcast. It's that breakaway. And then, you know, I yeah. make it such a big thing. It, it's just something really to look forward to. So, yeah, I, I'm, for me, there is no struggles, but there is for a lot of people. So that's why I've been working closely with both Fulham and Tottenham, where, you know, working on what, what exactly support they can give and just what you know what they're doing uh, yeah. in 2023 so yeah it's been a real privilege to work alongside both Fulham and Tottenham another day with Tottenham coming up two clubs that for me have really led the way in this situation and really willing to listen to my ideas suggestions my experiences which is great because you know I'm talking about two professional football clubs in the Premier League in Fulham and Tottenham and you don't expect you know to scroll through your, your Twitter DMs and have them both contact you so for me that was a real privilege uh, it's been great to work with them and I'm looking forward to strengthening that partnership. I was just going to say, the fact that you're using Spurs as a form of escapism is like an alcoholic being recommended to go to a Weatherspoons <laughs> to take a break from like the real world yeah, issues. It's, <laughs> it's the first time I've ever heard yeah. somebody say, I use Spurs as a sense of kind of release from troubles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very true. I think football is a form of escapism for a lot of people, but I guess in the way you described it just now, maybe, maybe especially for you, at points, maybe not all the time, but at points, something that has sort of given you, well, like you say, you talk about Spurs every day of your life, pretty much it's become something that you've yeah. really kind of gravitated towards. What is it about football and specifically Spurs, I guess, that has given you that platform that maybe other interests wouldn't be able to, let's say, I don't know, music or another sport? What is it specifically that Spurs and football does differently that has given you such a really great thing to cling on to? Yeah, no, it's a great question to be fair because, you know, this is often one I ask myself a lot because it, when I was younger, for example, I have a younger brother who's about six or seven now. I wasn't actually into football at his age. It took me a lot later to get into it. But when I got into it, I really did. Like I can remember, I think I was I was eight years old. Um, I used to used to play, play this fun game. I used to like you know, I used to get the program, and I used to know all the names and numbers of, of both teams. I used to go through the the whole squad, and it just little things like that. Then maybe realised you know actually. Uh, this is something I actually know a bit about and it, it, it helped me. Then I start breaking away struggles in and out of school by playing it. Then you talk about it daily um, to your friends. It's kind of just gone on from there. And over the years, I've kind of recognised that it really helps me. And like I said, that you know, led to the creation 
of my platform, of the podcast. It's something I really enjoy doing. I spend a lot of time on. And where I'm not, I would say I'm definitely not academically strong like you know, some people are in school. You know, where I'm stronger is in football. So, yes, yeah, a great question. Uh, what does it give me that others don't? To be fair, it's, it's a very difficult thing to answer. I'm not ever sure, to be fair, but it's just something that is stick to me over time. And I've realised that and kind of made it as much part of my life as I can. And, and also, like, I love setting ambitions, setting goals. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that I like saying that the, the sky's the limit. And so, like, every, like, for example, let's say I've got, 100 views on my match reaction next week I, I want to double that so for me that is also stepping outside my comfort zone setting goals and that let that little push little challenge so the, the support generally this year I've received has it, been mind-blowing because I set up the channel like I said as a breakaway to show family and friends to the point where you know let's say you have 50 100 people even which may say not sound like a lot if you consider the whole Spurs fan base but for me that's amazing just waiting for your content to go live for example it's a really good feeling because you know when you don't set something up for that reason it becomes something so yeah the, the support's been out of this world but that is actually a very good question absolutely and I know that's one thing you definitely share with a lot of football fans of all ages and generations and backgrounds and I know this because I found you on Twitter originally because I followed someone else on Twitter and someone else I'd followed on Twitter was your dad I think uh, who's Scarfy 1882 is that right Not really. so um, <laughs> I'm assuming you go to games with him as well and I mean for me it's going to football with my dad is what I've been doing since I was well four five six years old so yeah. roughly the age your brother is at the moment and I guess that's something that it's nice to see that you get to have that experience regardless and it's, you, nice. you, it's not just about what football gives to you that's different it's also what football can include you in which everybody gets to experience and it shows that football despite some of the bad yeah. stuff you see like a certain Arsenal fan making gestures to Son the other day football actually can be a very yeah. inclusive mm. game when it wants to be it can be definitely yeah Absolutely. And hey, this is just the start, Harry. You know, if you're doing this well now, just think where it's going to go. You're like Destiny Udogi making his first few performances. You're thinking if he's this good at this age, you know, just imagine where the ceiling is. Uh, but in all seriousness, you know, whatever it is that's driving you, whatever that's making you do it, if you want to call it an obsession or, or whatever, it, it's working and you're doing really good. And I, I think I speak on behalf of a lot of people and saying, well done. And it's incredibly impressive. And I, I don't want this to come across as condescending anyway, but the fact that you are the age that you are doing what you're doing, not just in terms of talking about football but going out there and speaking about these serious matters with such authority and so well and getting so much recognition from them is is incredible and I hope you keep doing it so so congratulations I'm Thank you. With Spurs in particular, I know you mentioned you, you collaborated with um, your friend, is it Barney at Fulham? Is that Barney, right? Yeah. Um, I think I saw a video yeah, yeah, yeah. that you, you collaborated with him and obviously Fulham are doing something. What are Spurs actually doing around supporting neurodiverse fans and autistic fans? I, I've heard a little bit about the sensory room at the stadium and it'd be interesting to hear a bit more about that because I think I mentioned to you before, I've got a nephew who's six who's autistic and yeah. I think like you at that age, he has absolutely no interest in football. But of course, I want to slowly start indoctrinating him into to this Tottenham Hotspur cult and getting him interested as soon as I had the chance. So it'd be good to know what the club is doing or can do to help kind of facilitate that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's an all-important question, and it was great to be shown around by Sam and Blur uh, to learn what exactly Spurs are doing and the kind of their, their hopes for the, for the future. And obviously, I'm going back for a second day because I've had time to go away, think, put my ideas forward. I've got Barney with me, so the reason we formed the partnership is is these two different sets of ideas. Some things we strongly agree on. Some things is a bit different. It's having that, yeah. that almost a different brain in there, different perspective, uh, different ideas. But in terms of what Spurs are doing, fabulous question. They've obviously got they've got. A sensory room with the new stadium and what makes it unique that at the moment I think they should but every other club doesn't have compared to Spurs as far as I know is that before the game after the game and all the way during the game if you know they want to you can stay in the sensory room which I think is fantastic or you have the option uh, you've got seating uh, just outside the sensory room so you've got that option there because some people want to stay in the sensory room all game and yeah so it's fantastic I heard a story that Simon shared me the other day about an autistic child and an autistic dad uh, and about I think one of them stayed inside one of them went out and it was just really nice to, to hear so that is great the Spurs are offering at the moment I could, I think it only holds about three or four people at once and then that is that huge waiting list so my next challenge to Spurs is to go right what's the plan for the future how can we expand on this because obviously there will be a slightly limited space and what they can do because from what I can gather that, that waiting list is very long so yeah Spurs Spurs have done well they, they've delivered on the central yeah. room with a new stadium That they've got that plan in place and what is fantastic that they do, for example, is they that the, you know, the week before, for example, through the post, you know, that they send you uh, a list and then photos what it looks like, so that autistic or neurodiverse person can familiarise themselves with the area, which I think is key. There's there's nothing worse from my own experience walking into something you don't know and everything's new, just not in that sense match you know you're meeting new people you're going to new sensory room it can be quite overwhelming and then you know you want to yeah. get the maximize you, know, you maximize the, the match day experience i think that is, is very important get the best out of it that you can and this is, is a good way of doing it so yeah there's photos of the staff you meet where you'll go how you'll get there and it just to, to read through that was fantastic so simon has done a lot you know fantastically and then voices ideas to the club obviously yeah, there's a lot more that can be done i think it could be expanded on and also, lastly, the one thing that Spurs do that for me is absolutely crucial that, that other clubs do, which I'm currently doing at the moment, and that is treating away fans the same, allowing that support. Away fans need the support. You know, they can get that with, with the sensory packs, with the communication via radio. There's, there's loads of different yeah. things. Whereas at the moment, you go to most stadiums, it is, uh, or maybe it's just the timeline, I mean, the people I follow, but every week there seems to be a story in the Premier League uh, how an away, certain away fans have been treated. They've been denied this or denied that. So, yeah, so it really does come down to that. But what you mentioned earlier about what gives me drive and wakes me up every day, it's a good question. Uh, and that is knowing that, for example, if, if you use schools as an example, uh, there's autistic people who have been denied an education, still on a waiting list for a diagnosis, uh, still waiting on the HCP. Yep. I don't want to uh, name anybody because that, that wouldn't be fair, but I know lots of people around me, very close to me, that are currently either in education but struggling but can't and, and being denied uh, an education. And obviously the government you know, didn't announce it very cleverly about it, but they, they've taken a cut to the funding, the SEM funding at a time where funding needs increasing as someone who goes to a SEM school myself, I absolutely love my school, but desperate funding is needed. Yeah. Um, so there's a long way to go and that is what motivates me to get up every day and make a difference but yeah Spurs are doing a lot but obviously like with every other club there's a lot that can be done still 
it's a small step in the right direction, but yeah, absolutely a lot to be done and well done to you for raising awareness of it. And obviously looking forward to seeing where it goes and hopefully you can play your part in getting things moving in the right direction and yes, the government so. can start putting more funding into this and we can we can start to see some real change and uh, hopefully yeah. that'll translate through to football as well. Fantastic. Well, as I say, you've been nominated for the award for diversity and inclusion um, on the Football Content Awards. So listeners... Go and vote for Harry. Go on the Football Content Awards Twitter. Go on the website. Vote for him in that award and we'll all do the same. And, and yeah, best of luck. And we'll see how that Thank how you. that goes. Um, well, look, we would obviously, we'd love to carry on talking about more of this. And I'm sure there's so much more that can be said. But we are fundamentally here to talk about Spurs. So uh, we better get on with uh, with a bit yeah. of that then, shall we? We'll, we'll talk about the, the North London derby and all of that. So, Ellie, I'm going to tag you in. Overall, I think we have to look at that and think it could have been a lot worse. We were fearing the worst. We've traditionally dreaded this fixture, as we've said. We've not had a lot of luck there. How are you left feeling after that game? I'm mostly good. We were the better team for the majority of the match, in my opinion, barring maybe the first 15 minutes and the period after Madison was substituted. I think we controlled the midfield. We didn't give away many. I think I think Gabriel Jesus essentially had one very sort of good chance for them, which he absolutely rocketed uh, after Madison was mugged, actually. But apart <laughs> from that, I, I mean, yeah, the yeah. penalty was, well, controversial to say the least because... Ben White's handball wasn't caught and had the ball just gone straight in, that goal would have been disallowed. So controversial to say the least. The other goal was a deflection. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was just terrible luck on Romero. So I I feel like we can take a lot out of that. When you consider that we're six games, not four years into our process, I think the signs are really positive. What I would say is this is the hardest test this season so far, but early season always throws up teams still finding their rhythm, Arsenal being one of them. And it's not to say mm. that we're not going to get started a test and this. So I don't want to get too carried away and start saying, oh, we're going to do this and that. I mean, you know, I'm always optimistic anyway, but there's not real room to be downcast. Oh, I guess if I had one gripe, it's that at Tool, I really felt like we could go on and win the game. I think we had a couple of opportunities to do so, one Son chance in particular. It wasn't mm. taken and there was a slight feeling of opportunity missed at the end of the game. But but that would be the limit of my discontent. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. It's easy to look at it and think that it could have been a whole lot worse early on, couldn't it? With the, Especially at the point where Gabriel just mugged Madison and had that chance. That could have been a very different trajectory of the game. But yeah, I think there's definitely the argument that it could have gone the other way. Um, Harry, let's take it back to you for a second because um, I'm conscious we've, we've not really given you a chance to talk about uh, the game yet or about, about football <laughs> in too much detail. So what are your overall feelings after that game? Because I think a, a lot of people were thinking this is where we find out where we really are as a football club. What do you think we've learned about Spurs off the back of that? Yeah, good question. I think we've learned that Spurs are, for me anyway, a long way ahead of where they should be. You know, I completely mm. agree that, that Arsenal are what, over four years into their project and we're about four months is a big difference. Arteta's been backed in several windows, been given what he wants. We have millions has been spent and just had one transfer window. I think a good one, to be fair, but only one. Um, so the fact we went toe-to-toe with Arsenal for 90-plus minutes shows how far we've come because... Yeah, we couldn't do that last season. You know that that is the big difference for me because I said as long as we leave 110 percent on the pitch, you know, toe to toe with Arsenal until the final whistle. Obviously, you, know, you don't want to lose, but that that is for me the minimum requirement, and we've done that. 
Um, so what we learned is that, yeah, I think mm. we're where we should be. We can go toe-to-toe with top oppositions. I mean, it's interesting because you get Arsenal fans before the game going, we're, we're going to absolutely smash you uh, to the point where, oh, apparently they didn't turn up and uh, <laughs> yeah. they, they had injuries, etc. which is not what they were saying before the game, um, but hey-ho. Yeah. Uh, I, I think we rattled them, it's fair to say. But the real test, I think, will be Liverpool at home. We're talking about a Liverpool team that have improved. They've brought in players. They've improved their midfield. Don't think it's fantastic, especially defensively. But, you know, the signs are there. They're a lot better mm-hmm. than they were last season. So, for me, that is a real test. But after Chelsea, yeah, there is tough games. The next, I think, six or seven games will be tough. So, yeah, when we approach that Christmas period, lots of games will be really you know, interesting and be the real tester for me. We, we learned a lot in that North London derby. We're going to learn a lot this weekend. I like what I'm seeing, but I also... You know, it's easy to get carried away and I don't want to do that because, you know, we haven't played Manchester City. We're yet to play Liverpool and we're yet to face that busy Christmas period. Uh, and we're yet to, to kind of, we've done it so far, but I want to see if we can do it consistently, home and away. Because last season, you know, we, we, we tripped up against yeah. more positions, especially away from home. We haven't done that yet, which is great. But we need to obviously keep that up. Um, so, yeah, time would tell. We're really impressed with what we saw against Arsenal. And I said before the game, I take a point. Uh, yes, I, I think that the, the winner was that was there, but coming up with a waypoint of somewhere where you know we we got pretty much demolished and turned over last season shows how far we've come in just a short period of time. Absolutely, yeah. So so watch us go and beat Liverpool now and then lose to Luton, right? That would be classic exactly. vintage Spursiness. <laughs> So, uh, so, so I think that is a bit of a running theme here, isn't there? In that I think a lot of people are saying this is going to be where we find out what Spurs are really made of. And I know you you were quite open last week in saying that looking at where they are in their process, where we are, they're a better team. You know, they should win this. This is theirs to lose. They're at home. They've had more time to gel as a team and we're kind of finding our feet. Were you surprised with how well we dealt with the threat that they posed? Because one thing that was really evident early on in particular was how good they were out of possession and how heavily they were pressing us. So I don't think we've had a sterner test than that in terms of building out. How do you think we handled it? Yeah, I think Elio said they had the better of the first 15. I think it was the better of the first 35. Mm. I think it's more so like they really kind of came out as the opening kind of half an hour or so. And it wasn't just the Jesus pressing. There was the Inketia chance at the near post that he could really easily have smashed into the roof of the net on another day. So yeah. we could have been two or three nil down, but at the same time, you go away to what is never a happy hunting ground for us, even when we've been objectively better than them. And we at best come away with a draw. So I wasn't, I never came into this game thinking there aren't going to be spells of 20 minutes at a time where we're going to be under a hell of a lot of pressure and probably succumb to it in that respect. So I wasn't too shocked by that. But for me, it was the response to the setbacks that I think was the most impressive because it wasn't a case of we yeah. went one nil down and head dropped. And you look at the sort of, when we went one nil down, it was sort of at a point where they started to crank up the pressure because Udogi was on the yellow card and you really thought they could smell blood here and kind of go for the throat. And there was absolutely no panic. And it's the thing that Postacoglu says a lot. It's like, we never stop. We just keep playing our way. Nothing changes. They go, when mm-hmm. absolutely nothing changes. And it was the same, you know, you're looking at coming out for the second half. It was only five minutes into the second half that, again, it, incredibly easy for heads to drop when it is a... Uh, unfortunate penalty i say unfortunate in the sense that it was a penalty but it's not as if you're you know when you're going to ground and you're spreading yourself like and it's pinball in the box from a yard out it can happen it's not some kind of ludicrous two-footed tackle for that to happen and for us to respond within 90 seconds i think that was the thing that impressed me the most and we could have ended up losing that game 3-2 and we would have been sat here being really annoyed but I still would have looked at the performance and gone, that exceeded my expectations. So the fact that we've walked away with it yeah. with a, a point on the board seems kind of like the icing on the cake. So in terms of yeah. what we learn, I think 
it's a repetitive thing. We're saying it each week. And I think Harry mentioned it. We are ahead of schedule. We said it after Man United. We said it after Burnley. We said it after Bournemouth. But the better opponent that we face, it just gives you more and more confidence when you say that because you start to sound less and less deluded and more like, actually, we faced a, quote, properly good team now. So we truly are sort of ahead of schedule. So, yeah, happy days. I do think it's quite heartening to have gone there and pushed aside that I meant to generally dominate possession, generally have more creativity than most of their opponents and push them into playing a fairly counter-attacking game by and large against us. I mean, yes, they had some clear chances, but I think we controlled a lot of the flow of the game. I, I think first half Arsenal probably did just edge it. I, text, I think I texted our group at halftime and said that they'd probably just edged it, but say the truth we we obviously we all know we bossed the possession we know that in terms of clear cut chances we've been given the three to their one for whatever that means obviously I, we all know I hate stats and now I'm being a massive hypocrite mm. by using stats to back up a viewpoint <laughs> but I don't, I, I, I don't oh, care when it's Arsenal Spurs yeah, it, it's fine and they won the XG yeah. I think 2.34 to 2.21 but then when you take off the 0.76 yeah, out, out we had the higher xg as well yeah. so statistically it backs us up that actually we did control the flow of the game and we we did actually mm. come out a bit unfortunate to only get a point from it now that's a part of the story there's also the statistic that we've got the same amount of points right now that we did at this point last season with only one better goal difference so i don't want to say that yeah. the statistics are saying that we're unequivocally the better team i'm just saying that they're saying there's an argument to suggest that we could have won this game and that actually the gap between the two sides especially given how new all our players are yeah. to each other is not that great this was seven of our players north london derby debuts and I think the average age of those players was 22 years old or something crazy like that. I mean, if that's what it's like now, I'm really, really looking forward to the return fixture towards the end of the season. And it it makes it all the more impressive that we played in the way that we did as well. I think a word that keeps on circling around is bravery, just in terms of we we did not compromise the way we played. You know, you'd think if any game would have coaxed us into thinking, all right, this time let's hit it long. This time let's not take so many risks. Let's just go in there, try not to lose. We did try not to lose. We tried to win, and that was clear. I think obviously we went the hard yeah. way about it, and we didn't. We didn't quite get it in the end. But I think there's a great quote from Madison. He says, "Neutrals talk about Tottenham. They often say soft, weak, bottle it, Spursy, all that rubbish." I think the last couple of weeks shows we might be going in a slightly different direction, which is a very fair point. And we said it last week, didn't we? It was definitively unSpursy to come back the way we did against Sheffield United and get the result, and we've shown it again. We're we actually seem to be a tough, resilient team now, yeah, we which are. Uh, is not something we'd have associated with us for a while. We absolutely are. And I think one of the main things you spoke about last week that would give Arsenal something of an advantage, bar any kind of player-for-player comparisons or tactics or anything like that, was their familiarity with each other as opposed to our players' familiarity with each other and their familiarity Mm. with their coach and his tactics even more so. But what that did produce on the day was the fact that Arsenal were a better in their press than we were in our press and be probably better at playing through our press than we were uh, at playing through their press. The two things obviously feed into each other. But when it actually came to getting into territorial positions, we were the team moving the ball quicker, more slick and creating Mm -hmm. more dangerous moments. And even if it's still moments scattered across the game as opposed to a consistent sort of pummeling that we would have seen versus let's say Everton Mm -hmm. 
it really bodes well for what's to come. And any Spurs fan who doesn't think very positively after this match needs to have a word with themselves. Can I just say, I've not read the Bible in a long time, but isn't Elio using XG to prove a point? Isn't that one of the four signs of the apocalypse? Isn't it like war, famine, <laughs> Elio using XG? Yeah. The look is whenever, the window. Whenever, whenever Elio starts talking about about stats, I, I just I can see the pain on his face. Like he's just he's like, I I really don't want to do this, but it supports my point. It's like last week when he was saying, I'm happy to be a hypocrite if it's fit as my agenda. Like I'm happy if we play anti-football time waste and beat Arsenal by doing it. Um, I was good. I was just going to quote our old buddy John, uh, John McKenzie, who uh, he came out on Twitter just today, I think, saying he's been rewatching and he thinks Arsenal are actually the best team in the Premier League or in, in world football. He may have said out of possession, but he thinks that the, the tweaks they've made to achieve that are actually making sacrifices in their build up and in their play on the ball. And they actually, in this game, it'll be interesting to hear, they actually completed the fifth fewest number of passes that they have in any game since Arteta took over, which I think is testament to, to our press and, and how difficult we made it for them as well. So uh, I think as good as they look there, we we definitely capitalise where we could. Dave, watching the game, which I assume you have done because you are always a thorough professional and you watch every minute. I I, I like to think you probably watched the game three times and paused it and taken notes and regular intervals. Was there anything from either team that surprised you or was this more or less what you were expecting? Um, It's what I was expecting. I mean, I'm not going to talk about Leeds. Um, we, <laughs> Don't sit there and lie to us, Dave. You know you will eventually. There, there's, there's so many shades of Bielsa in the way that it is kind of, this is the way we play. Yeah, It doesn't matter who we're playing. Three points against Man City versus three points against Arsenal versus three points against Derby is the same thing. And we will go out to win the game. And I really respect that. And I think, you know, it's so easy to say I have a way of playing, but it's also so easy to cower to the bigger or further down the lane in the process teams who you think, mm. oh crap, we best be defensive, we best change our tactics. But the fact that he didn't change his tactics is great, in my opinion. I, I think it's a, a testament to him, to his philosophy, to his morals, to his standards, to the way that he wants football to be played. Yeah. I think that's great. It's this dogmatic approach. Yeah. Exactly. And 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 I've absolutely I'm absolutely here for it, even if it will end in tears <laughs> in three years when uh, when everybody finds you out and suddenly starts <laughs> yeah. over seven well, I was sitting oh, there watching. I was sitting there watching, and I, and I was like, "Sooner or later, this will go wrong." And it very nearly did. The Madison thing was a classic example of where that can go wrong, and we weren't yeah. punished for it, luckily. But I think that's the most scared I've been when yeah. watching us yeah, build yeah. out against press. And I don't think it will get worse than that. Obviously, Man City are obviously comparable. No, I, I don't think. I don't, think, I don't think it will. I think. I think you yeah. know, Arsenal are a top team. I was talking to a Liverpool fan earlier today, and he was saying he thinks Arsenal are rubbish now. So he thinks Tottenham, are, Tottenham oh, getting a point there isn't much. But I'm, I'm not. I'm not convinced about that. <laughs> well, that that's what the Arsenal fans well, are saying, think, isn't it? Yeah. The same Arsenal fans that were saying before the game that they were going to smash us are now saying, yeah. why are they celebrating a draw against us? We're not well, that good. Paul Merson, you mean? Make your mind up. Yeah, <laughs> or less said about Paul Merson, the, the, the better. Um, I mentioned Madison there, obviously very uh, instrumental in the game. He had a good game. But I think for not the first time this season, it's one of those where it's it's quite difficult, you could argue, to pick out a standout performer. So, Harry, I'm going to come to you. <laughs> He's obviously shaking his head. He's already made up his mind on his man of the match. Are there one or two that you thought particularly stood out in terms of Spurs performances in that game? Is there is there a clear man of the match for you? Yeah, there's a couple. Obviously, the obvious one is Song getting a brace, but yeah, you know, try, trying to think of someone else. But Sumar yeah. I thought was was really good. Again, I thought Van der Ven mm. was. 
excellent. For, for me, it's probably just about Van der Ven. I, I thought he was excellent. I, th- I think he has been. You know, how yeah. quickly is he's adjusted to his position, been thrown in there from reportedly two training sessions for the Brentford game. He's just done really, really yeah. well. He's settled so quickly. And we know that sometimes players come into a new country, into a new league, take time to settle. He hasn't. He's got on with his job. He's done really well. And for me, you know, already is is kind of almost like a leader of that defence. Uh, he's he's in the nicest way. He's, he's kind of uh, I don't want to say putting Romero to shame, but it's really handy for Romero to mm-hmm. have. I already think the top centre back next to him, uh, you know, Romero. I think I need to calm down. Yeah. Romero hasn't just got someone you know, to compete with him. He's got a top top centre back who, for me anyway, is, is right. Should take the spotlight from his performances early on. So yeah, I'd, I'd love to I'd let them to have potential to be the, the Toby and Yang uh, combination. Absolutely excellent. So yeah, Van der Ven for me. Yeah. Didn't put a foot wrong. Everything was asked of him. He completed. He went up and beyond as well. So, yeah, Van der Ven was just yeah. like, better than everyone else. Yeah, and his tackle on, was it Enketia? That slide tackle, that was one of the most satisfying moments of the game, wasn't it? Van der Ven, got to, got to love him, and I can't disagree with that. He'll steal the ball right off you, and then he'll go ahead and steal your girlfriend while he's running out <laughs> it, won't he? He's, um, he's a pretty boy, that Van der Ven. Um, so you were aggressively agreeing with Harry when he said Van der Ven there. Was that the one you were going to single out as well? Yeah, yeah. There's nothing I can add to that. I mean, Harry pretty much said everything I was going to say. I think it was obviously him. And I think uh, I completely agree with the point on he's almost putting Romero to shame. And I think with Romero, because he is so kind of rash, I'm not at the point where I don't rate him as highly as some of their other fans do, but I don't rate him as lowly as maybe kind of a neutral would do in the sense that they think he's a walking red card. But I think the kind of calmness that Van der Ven exudes means I kind of trust him more, even though I've only seen him for six games as opposed to a couple of seasons. But I agree with the point that he is a perfect complement to somebody like Romero, who, by the way, I will say about Romero, I know it sounds bizarre to say for somebody who scored their own goal... And oh, gave away a yellow card. I thought he had an absolutely, a yeah. really, really impressive game. And it yeah. was his first. So you look yellow- on Google and you see own goal, penalty Romero, you think, oh, he's had Completely, a nightmare. But he, didn't, he didn't watch he, the game. He barely put yeah. the foot wrong other than that, other than the two goals that mm. he accidentally cost us or whatever. And yeah. Obviously, he picked up And even first then, you could say season. they were unlucky. Yeah, you could even say that neither of them were necessarily a mistake as such. They I mean, just Gary Neville was going a little bit in on him on the own goal, which I found harsh. I mean, okay, he kind of loosely stuck a leg out, but at the same time, it, it's, it wasn't something so wild that you kind of could blame him yeah. for. And we've already touched on the handball a bit being a little bit unfortunate, even though it, it probably was a penalty. Yeah. So Someone needs to remind Gary Neville about his beautiful side foot past Paul Robinson for England. <laughs> you know, the one that stops us qualifying for a European Championship. And ruin Robinson's career. Harry, just so you know, it's a long-standing tradition of the Plus Day podcast for Elio to go in on Gary Neville, and and it's, it's always with good reason Fair as well. Enough. And uh, Neville yeah, doesn't make it easy for himself. Yeah, I think we can all I get mean, it on so that. They might as well pay hamster to tell stories about how to be a good gorilla. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> just a quick quote here, Dave. I know you, you wanted to say something, but just while we're on Van der Ven, um, there's a quote from him which kind of goes hand in hand with this whole bravery thing and sticking to the process. Uh, he goes, "For me as a centre back, it's okay." to imagine I lose the ball one time and a big chance comes from it and the trainer is screaming from the sides again, again, again. It gives us some trust to build up again and again. Of course, it's risky, but when you come out of it in a nice situation, you're always like, oh yeah. So he's he's bought into to the Ange philosophy and um, seems to be okay with it. Dave, what were you going to say? Um, I was just going to comment on one of the other players that, that Harry mentioned there. I think we've had a few podcasts so far this season where we have waxed lyrical about the performance of Eve Basuma, 
And I think we've probably said it at least once, if not five times, to say, okay, but it was against XYZ, but it was against ABC. Yeah. Let's see what he's like, going to be like against the top team. And I mean, yeah, he didn't see off Declan Rice. Obviously, Declan Rice was injured. But at the same time, they made two midfield substitutions at half time. And Jorginho was under enough pressure and unaware of what he was doing, or maybe too yeah. aware of what Bissouma might be doing to make a mistake, which which caused a goal. So I think um, I think it's worth worth shouting out Bissouma and also Saar, to be honest, because I think you know mm. ultimately yeah. there was four holding slash six slash box to box midfielders in that game, and the two that lasted the whole game were playing Spurs. Yeah. Bissouma had probably it's a toss up between him and one other Spurs player in terms of who had the hardest job. Uh, and I think the fact that he was the one responsible for receiving the ball in the half turn against that aggressive press and coming out of it, he had the hardest thing to do. I think the other one is obviously young Destiny Udogi, who had, as we mentioned last week, we said this is going to be the measure of him when he comes up against Saka and then Salah next week. I'm now significantly more confident that he's going to be able to do something against Salah because despite what Gary Neville was married to his narrative and, and wanted to insist upon, he actually, after a Slightly shaky start, did very, very well, didn't he? And, and I guess that takes us probably into the first goal, I guess. Let's talk about the actual goal itself, because I think at this point, it was a little bit shaky. Udogi, he'd, he'd had the yellow card very early on, and we we're all thinking, oh, God, left back on a looking up against Saka this early in a game like this. This could be a bit of a nightmare. There was this slightly shaky back pass, which I think was as much probably van der Ven's fault if anyone's as it was his can probably let that one go but what do we think of the goal and do we think maybe Johnson slash Udogi perhaps gave Saka a little bit too much space to allow that shot in the first place Sox you're nodding your head there yeah I, I think it's partly the fault like Johnson was tracking back but almost too eagerly to the point where he kind of run past the kind of face of yeah. play so Saka was able to to turn in and kind of cut into Udogi who at that point was obviously under a lot of pressure and incredibly nervous. So he wasn't in a position on a yellow card to go in with any kind of like saving tackle or what have you to sell himself. So, I mean, I feel harsh criticizing it because essentially that was the first partnership. I mean, those two at that point had played together for however many minutes were on the clock because it was Johnson's first start for us. So effectively what you're seeing... You can see the lack of communication. Right. I mean, it's it's exactly what we've been saying this whole time. And again, it's just repeating ourselves at this point, but... We, we talk about the lack of familiarity, where we are in our process, and we say it will cost us. This is exactly what we mean. This is something that 12 months from now, or maybe even three, four, five, six months from now, that very basic thing of a winger tracking back to help a fullback and doubling up on somebody like Saka, mm. which we will have to see next week, more than likely against Salah, who is the one player in the league in that position that is probably better than Saka. These are the sort of places we're going to get caught out. So yeah. was it someone's fault? Yes. But uh, should we be sort of pointing fingers and criticizing and getting too nitpicky about it? I, I don't no. see what we sort of stand to gain from that. No. And I think from that point onwards, Udogi was pretty much faultless. I think you can't really ask for anything more from him from that point onwards. And he had a, he had a brilliant game for the rest of it. And yeah, definitely uh, scary to think how good he could become. You're going to get bored of me doing this every single week, but I hope you do leave no, no, some please, time at some point. Just, I know we're talking goals right now as opposed to individuals, but I just want to highlight... I know where you're, you're going You're going to get bored of me doing it every time. I was, I was, about, I was about to introduce you as the chairman of the Dejan Kulusevsky fan club. <laughs> I think he was absolutely phenomenal. He took the pressure off our defence constantly. He was riding really physical challenges. Oh, why don't he you was, just marry him, Elliot? I would marry Dejan Kulusevsky, give him three yeah. beautiful Greek Swedish babies <laughs> and retire on his <laughs> money as a very well-kept house husband. I love Dejan Kulusevsky, okay? But... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
the way uh, Big Lump like that was wriggling out of really tight challenges constantly. Harry, I, I want to say it's not like this every week, but I'd be lying. The way he was wriggling in and out of challenges, the way he was taking pressure off our defence, the way that he was using his physicality to protect the ball in tight areas, I thought he was absolutely brilliant. It was like watching Moussa Dembele out on the wing, basically. I think his contribution will be overlooked largely because... He wasn't involved in the key moments, but without Dejan Kulazewski, this game doesn't get won. And there's a reason why, once again, he was the one attacker from our former attacking players that was left on the pitch at the end. It's because he's got the heart of a bloody lion. And I think there's no takeaway away from his performance. It was a 9 out of 10 for me. The only thing that would have made it a 10 out of 10 would have been an involvement in the goal. I'd compare his performance in this game to Dimitar Berbatov's performance against Bolton when Robbie Keane got sent off early and Berbatov had to play the lone striker the entire game. He didn't what score that. I love that. Harry's like, I remember it well. <laughs> he didn't score that day this game. He didn't make a goal that game, but he did win us that game with an imperious performance. Kulazewski did the same thing on Sunday. Harry and I yeah. are just like with Partridge. Shrug. I mean, Dagus doesn't remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, two, you two have your respective excuses on the count of being a Leeds fan and not having been alive. I'm just stupid. <laughs> That's my excuse. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Elio, well, while I'm on you, um, what, what did you make of Bukayo's celebration? I'll get off him if Kulisevsky moves out of the way. Um, what did you make of Bukayo Saka's celebration mimicking James Madison when he scored? And um, how do you think he's feeling about that now? I mean, if this wasn't against Arsenal, I'd just, or if this wasn't Spurs versus Arsenal, I'd be thinking, you know what? These are young men playing football. They should be enjoying it. They should be having fun. A bit of banter. It's not life or death. Yeah, and handsome. and yeah. uh, good on them for. <laughs> but it is Arsenal Spurs, so it is life and death. Exactly, it is Arsenal Spurs. It, it is life and death. <laughs> it was absolutely beautiful to see him yeah. in the aftermath of both those celebrations get absolutely humiliated by James Madison to assist both of Son's goals. And I, I hope Bukayo Saka cried himself to sleep that night. I really do. <laughs> Just like the Sheffield United Childs. I hope Saka was in tears. Yes, I am that big detective, Harry. Not to all people of youth, just to those I dislike because they play for Arsenal. Fair enough. <laughs> and Sean Longstaff. Definitely Sean Longstaff. So let's... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Sean Longstaff's had enough. Sean Longstaff, Gary Neville. I mean, the, there's the list of Elio's enemies that don't even know that his enemies goes on. Um, <laughs> let's, let's talk about set humiliation then, shall we? Because um, James Madison narrowly avoided his own bit of humiliation thanks to the statistical worst finisher in Premier League history. I think Gabriel Jesus skying a one-on-one as he tends to do. That's actually a fact, by the way. Since he made his debut, he has the biggest underperformance on his XG of any striker in Premier wow. League, which is uh, a stat I'm sure he's not happy with. I think Son is the opposite. It's a hard actually. task keeping your XG up when you've been at Manchester City for half a decade. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. You're just thinking, oh, another one will come in three minutes. Um, but yes, Madison avoided his own humiliation, <laughs> then um, dished one out back to, to Saka with a, a beautiful bit of work. Harry, what did you make of our equaliser, Madison's involvement in it? Um, and Son's finish, which I heard described as a tap-in the other day, which I thought was a little bit underselling it. No, it was anything but a tap-in. You know, listen, I, know, I see that, that chance miss so, so often. You know, composure... Yeah. Uh, to finish. Yeah, Jesus isn't scoring that. 
No, he's not. No, he's definitely not scoring that. And, and we've seen Harlem <laughs> miss them. You know, we're not being funny in the early weeks yeah. of the season. Uh, you know, everyone does miss those chances. I thought he, he took it excellently. Uh, Madison has a very, very key part, you know, in, in both of those goals, both our equalisers. So, yeah, really, really well taken, to be fair. So, o- overall, really good performance, I thought, individually and as a team. But I just want to touch on what you said about uh, the first goal that we actually conceded. I completely agree. You, you don't want to be pointing fingers at anyone, but I think that's a goal that hopefully further down the project we don't concede in terms of Adoki and Johnson. I completely agree. Again, uh, I think was was too tight. Uh, well, not too tight, but they're so eager to get there that they then create this big gap in being over keen. Personally, people say Romero's unlucky. Yes, he is unlucky, but I think his positioning for me is quite poor. He doesn't know it's going in. That isn't his fault, but I think he could have got better connection on it or been that communication yeah. with the car. But at the same time, it does happen so quickly. And North London Derby, that is, you know, that pressure there. But yeah, both of our equalizers were fantastic. Obviously, the first one we got, Madison does it exceptionally well to send Saka inside out to keep the ball in play for Son to put in the corner. That was mm. actually taken. So yeah, uh, it's, it's far from yeah. a tap-in. So yeah, the goals <laughs> you took were very, very clinical, which is just great to see. Yeah, my favourite part, I think the most impressive thing about that goal or, or specifically Madison's involvement in it was, I think, maybe I'm being harsh, but I think sort of eight or nine out of 10 players in that position running to the line like that would have just hit it across goal. But he actually looked up yeah. and saw Son and picked him out, which I thought was particularly um, say, impressive yeah. there. And I also loved his comments after the game where someone asked him about uh, Saka celebrating, kiss right. his celebration. He goes, I heard he did the dart celebration. He must have still been doing it when I turned him for the first goal. <laughs> brilliant brilliant banter from Madison there love that so yeah so that took us into to half time Dave you were watching attentively at this point uh, at half time what, during half time no that really yeah, yeah during half time you were paying close attention to the adverts uh, at that stage what were you thinking how did you see the rest of the game playing out did you think Arsenal were on top did you think it was going to go right down to the wire it felt like it was up for grabs it felt like anybody could win it at the time so I think yeah to be honest I was mainly paying attention to you guys in the in the chat because I was more interested in what you guys were thinking about oh, we'll come back to our chat because well, maybe we don't come back to the chat <laughs> you know this- <laughs> There's a there's a minor on the on the podcast after all, um, but um, yeah, we've done very but, well so far with the language. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, this is the soft call version of plus tip. I think you, from my perspective, you know, it's one and a half time. You know, you went down, you came back. You know, ultimately, it's all to play for. And you've mentioned that you think that you know a large percentage of the first half Arsenal were on top, but but ultimately. I didn't get that feeling, especially not for a home side. It never felt like, and when I was watching it, I never felt like you guys are really up against it at the moment. I felt like it was a relatively even game, which both teams had had chances. It was all square at the break, and it was anyone's game, and it was up for grabs. So I would have assumed that that was exactly what Posh Cogley would have said. He said, look, we're playing our way and we're in this, so let's keep playing our way because we're in this. And, yeah. and I, think that's what, I think that's what you did, and... You know, we'll talk about the goals, I'm sure, but, you know, that just proved the point, I think. Yeah, I can't imagine it would have changed too much, but obviously Arsenal were forced to change their game plan a little bit, or at least they changed their lineup as Rice came off at half time. Not that he bullied off really... the pitch by Basuma. Well, I mean, it happens to the best of us, doesn't it? But he, um, I, I think you could tell he wasn't 100%. He definitely wasn't the presence that you'd expect from Rice, and certainly not for, for his price tag anyway. Elio, did you feel like we were stronger in the second half, or do you think we started the second half stronger than we started the first? I think we were stronger in the second half, at least while we had Madsen and Sol on the pitch, basically. I think the challenge they to unpunished by the referee I seem to remember as well did end up leaving us 
struggling a bit to keep the status quo towards the end because with them on the pitch we looked the more likely team to get that third goal and win the game I think until that withdrawal of Madison we were passing around them fairly comfortably and we were opening them up we we definitely had the momentum to do something with it and and it was just really heartening to see how slick we looked but when they came off that time left plus 10 minutes injury time as well which god knows how they got quite that much i know there Mm. are a few stoppages but anyway if we can do that to arsenal we can do that to anyone yeah that's the key takeaway isn't it that's the exciting thing right the first of a couple of controversial talking points i want to go over the penalty and this is where we need the neutral to step in. Dave is shaking his head. Okay. So there are a couple of components to this, Dave. Whether it was a handball. I've got my Drake all, meme going on. I don't want to talk about it. Where's that Drake in that First meme? of all, we need to establish. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. how we are showing our age. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Elio's anyway, acting like he knows who Drake I just is. I some random guy. <laughs> Elio, to you, Drake is some random guy. Stop trying to act like you're down with the kids. I know what he looks like. I just don't know what he sounds like. Anyway, anyway, bringing this back on course. Uh, was it a penalty? Well, quite simply. And why Why or why not? Dave. Sure. Sure. Thanks. Why not? Moving on, yeah? Do you actually think it was a handball? And well, I don't know what I don't know what the rules are anymore. So well, that's what Postacoglu said. To be fair, he said I don't know what handball looks like anymore. Didn't the ball come off of his thigh onto his hand? Yeah. Well, I think more importantly, arguably, I think that in the build-up to the handball, it touched Ben White's hand or his arm to an extent where well, had more he scored. Tags. I think that's had he then scored or had Romero not got in the way, I think the goal would have been disallowed, which surely means there shouldn't have been a penalty. Well, it's just a, well, I don't want to talk about it. Because it gets me at all. It's a bit boring, it isn't gets, it? It gets it's a me bit angry. I don't know down Cas Vegas because it gets me angry. You know, it's just nonsense. It, instead of it depending on which referee you get now, it depends on who's the referee in Stockley Park. It's the same thing. You know, ultimately, we've not understood that the basic principle of VAR is that the VAR should only really be involved for definitive binary decisions. You can't slow everything down and then make a referee look at it. Because it's completely different when it's slowed down. And and yeah. if there is and, and if the rule is if it touches your hand it's a penalty, then that can be done on VAR. But apparently it's not, because I've seen replays and I've seen things go to a VAR where it has it someone's hand, clearly, but it's not been given as a penalty. So the rule isn't mm-hmm. if it is your hand it's a penalty. And if, if that is the rule, then they shouldn't be going to the monitor anyway. They should be just going, mate, it's down, it's a penalty. I mean, all right, cool, penalty. But that doesn't happen. It's Let's go to this, the screen. And everybody walks over to the screen and looks at it and goes, oh, yeah, as it is, and yeah. Oh, okay, it's mm. a penalty. I don't know what the rule is, but if the rule isn't black and white, binary, then why the hell is VAR involved? Because mm. it's not a clear and obvious error, unless I'm missing something. Yeah, yeah. never will be. I yeah. was not expecting this response from Dave. That's all. But I'm pleased to hear it. The way I view it is that, like everybody else, I have no idea. I have in my head what I think the handball rule is, and then there are the actual laws themselves, and I can't mm. be asked to read section C16B on the 400th page because I can't be asked for that. <laughs> yeah. But the way I see it and why I think it was given is that the ball is heading towards the goal, and the only thing that stopped that from happening is Romero's arm that was out. I don't know if out means unnatural position. And the problem is when you start talking about the word unnatural, that is inherently subjective. Exactly. Because anybody who has played football to even a level at like power league, if you're falling down in the way, if you look at what he's trying to do, he moves his, his right leg forward down to block a shot that he thinks is going kind of low to his right and it ends up going high to his left. Mm. But 
you don't fall to the ground with your arms behind your back. You kind of throw them wide. So for me, I'm looking at it, I'm like, on one hand, I wouldn't say his arm is in an unnatural position just because it's wide away from his body, because that's perfectly natural. And you've got to remember, this is happening at a million miles an hour. So I don't think his arm is in a natural position. However, if it was at the other end and you told me that we had a shot that was goal bound to equalize and the only thing that prevented it was the right arm of Saliba or Gabriel or Ben White, I think we'd be screaming for it. I think the frustration that I have is that we will see this decision next week, irrespective of whether it's involving Spurs, Arsenal, Luton, Wolves, mm. and we'd all be looking at it and we'd be saying the same thing, which is this could go anyway. And we'd flip a coin and it might be given, it might be not. Because I thought the one that we didn't get against us, against Manchester United, which was also a Romero Hapball, incidentally, that one immediately when it happened, I thought to myself, that one's Stonewall. And we quote unquote got away with that one. And this one we got given against us. And that's ultimately the frustration. I can ultimately, I don't walk away from this game and think to myself, this was a travesty of justice. And if it wasn't for the referee, we would have won this game. Mm. So if that is my overriding feeling, then deep down, it's probably, you know, I probably think it was a penalty. It's the fact that in seven days time, we could be talking about the exact same decision against Liverpool. It's gone the complete opposite way, whether it's for or against Mm. us. But I don't know if we're adding anything to the conversation because since the referees got a little bit too clever with trying to change the rules, since the advent of VAR, Mm. there are podcasts and media companies and YouTube channels up and down the country that are having this conversation. I mean, there was stuff that happened in the Newcastle game. There was stuff that Mm. happened in the Luton Wolves game. It's the same again and again and again. And similar to Dave, you know, I'm going to say we shouldn't be talking about it after I've just (laughs) gone on a, you know, five minute little diatribe about it. But what more is there to say? You just got to hope that the old adage of it evens itself out across the season comes to pass, whether it does or not remains to be seen. I'm quite old fashioned in that. I just think take the ambiguity out of it and go, if it hits a hand, it's a handball. Doesn't matter where it is on the pitch. If a hand's against yes. the body and it would have hit the body anyway, one exception there. And that's very easy to decide with seven minutes of VAR or whatever the allowed time to check a goal a goal <laughs> situation is. But if it hits a hand, it's a handball. Um, if it hits a defender's hand in the penalty area and his hand's not on his body, give the penalty. If it hits a hand in the build-up to a goal, then disallow the goal. I just... It's so simple. It may seem a bit unfair and it may then end up that some teams that play a certain way are penalised more than others. Fine, at least it would be a very level, a very consistent playing field for everybody. Referees are human beings and human beings, by and large, are stupid. Not everybody is like me. So therefore, (laughs) make it easy for them. I would say, and, and, and this is the last thing I'm going to say on VAR, so if you ask me another question, I'm just going to be silent and it's going to be tumbleweed. But I still stand by... This will be awkward when we talk about Nketiah, but okay. I I stand by my initial thoughts on VAR, which is 30 seconds, three three, uh, replays. If if, if you can't make up your mind after three replays and uh, and 30 seconds, then it's not clear and obvious. I'll be honest, I was hoping for a 30-second discussion about this. And yeah, this this has gone on way longer than the VAR did at this point. Like We're we're still talking about handballs and VAR decisions. Something else for us to talk about. Did they want? Was, it, was, it, was yeah. it a content creator that came up with VAR? <laughs> thought you know what? We don't talk about football enough. There's not enough angry people talking about football. They've never seen Arsenal fans TV, and they just thought, you know what? Mm. We need more people talking about this because there is not enough completely ridiculous things that everybody can get their teeth into every single week because it's so inconsistent. I'm done. Thanks, Dave. 
Anything to add, Harry, dare I ask? Yeah, I'll keep it very brief. I'll keep it brief. Don't worry. I think Dave's absolutely spot on. 30 second limit is needed. If it is, you know, clear and obvious, it yeah. should not take any more than two, three times to look at something. It's as simple as that. VAR was brought in. The definition was for clear and obvious errors. It's being used in the wrong way. And for me, it's got to the point where, you know, you're talking, I had this discussion on another show yesterday that I was on. Someone like Wolves, you know, they get that shocking decision, nothing to do with AAR, but poor referee decision, uh, go against them against Man United, where yeah. Anana rugby tackles two players, right? The AAR is there for the clear and obvious errors. That is, you can't get any more clear and obvious than that. And it hasn't intervened at all, which is shocking. And we're talking uh, what could have been a potential point gain there for Wolves, which could be the difference at the end of the season, then going down, and then could lead them to financial troubles further down the road. So the poor decisions they are making has a chain uh, of effects. I can, you know understand mistakes from from referees but when you've got VAR in there you know to to you know recognize and prevent the clear and obvious errors that's a frustrating thing for me it just isn't happening one more thing to say about VAR is that it's completely missed what it was supposed to do like there are two things VAR was supposed to do it was to eradicate uncertainty in decisions fail and it was also and I don't think anybody really, really thinks about this because they're too busy worrying about the first point. It was supposed to make our referees better, and it's not working because <laughs> it's just exposing how bad they not, are instead. Well, well, it was worse than that. It's turning it into a EastEnders storyline. Yeah. It doesn't need to be an EastEnders. There is, there is the the, the I I can't remember where I found out about all this. They basically created this for the NBA. The equivalent of Stockley Park, and it is basically a room with 15 people looking at screens, watching games live, and a guy has a feed to the umpires. And they, in real time, you don't even know it's happening. Like, the average basketball fan doesn't even know that this this actually happens. But there are people that are watching it in slow motion and calling as it happens so that they can make the right call for these decisions because these calls are so important and so expensive mm. if, we get, yeah. if they get them wrong. And that is what VAR should be. But the problem is we've completely missed that and we turn it into some kind of extra thing on top of football because football was boring without it. And it's just so mind-blowing yeah. how we've come to this. It's like an unnecessary cherry on top of a cake that was already perfectly fine <laughs> without it. Dave, I love how Harry just disconnected and probably ran over to his modem, started the whole thing up, came back on, logged in, and, and we're still, still going on about VAR, yeah. Yeah, which I think <laughs> is probably a sign that we should move it along. But unfortunately, as, as, as you probably all predicted, we're going to come back to controversial decisions in a little while. But first, we're talking about the penalty. We're talking about whether it should have been a penalty, whether it was a handball. It didn't really matter in the end because we went right back down the other end and gave those Woolwich scumbags a little counter punch, didn't we? Winning the ball up high. Lovely goal. Elio, you particularly enjoyed that one, didn't you? Absolutely. I mean, any goal where you nick possession like that and just sort of pummel them before they know what's going on is a bit special because it just sort of, it really rams home that kind of never say die attitude that football fans love to see um and yeah i think the fact that it was straight off the back of saka once again poncing about with the dark celebration which first time fair enough but doing it twice you've got <laughs> yeah, a no role and a penalty twice. and you're going to those levels so the fact that madison created it's even better <laughs> uh, uh no it, it was absolutely yeah. lovely to see and the, the finish from son i mean the first finish was pure instinct and technique the second finish was one of just pure 
confidence and composure. This is this is Son back to his best now, and I think it's hard to look past Son down the middle for the foreseeable future. The way he's just played and the way he has played recently, at least whenever we're playing a team that likes to leave space in behind, it has to, has to be this way. It was so thoroughly enjoyable to see, and it was so. So good to see his celebration in front of the Arsenal fans, shushing them the way that scumbag Thierry did to us once upon a time. Harry, you might not know who Thierry Henry is. He's a little <laughs> bit before your time. <laughs> yeah, he was quite good for them lot down the road, unfortunately. Yeah. Luckily, you didn't get to experience that. Yeah, you've heard of him. Isn't he a pundit or something? Yeah. Didn't he do some car so adverts? Yeah, whatever. It's just nice to see us having the arrogance to say, we don't care if we're at your gaff. We don't care how you want to play. We're going to do things our way and live and die by our own swords. And all right, this wasn't a win, but it was a game that I think dispelled a lot of fears about what could go wrong and gave us a lot of confidence about what could go Right. I think earlier on, I think in our preseason projections, I predicted the Arsenal game as, well, actually, you first predicted and then I embellished on it because uh, I was annoyed that you <laughs> said that I stole your like six or seven predictions yeah. in a row before giving anyone else a chance to talk. But, <laughs> um, but I, either way, we made the prediction that the Arsenal game would be the game that really got us sort of believing in great things for this season and fully got sort of. Bandwagon going. I think that's actually already happened before this game. I think we can probably yeah. agree on that. But this game has mm. definitely solidified that theory. And goals like our second equaliser the other day really make that point because it, it shows everything about what's good about this new post-painful rebuild dawn for this football club. Yep. Harry, first of all, when that goal went in, first of all, I hope, I hope you enjoyed that goal uh, and talk us through your feelings from the goal and then from the point onwards in terms of how were you thinking at that point with the backdrop of what happened at Sheffield United? Was this the point where you were like, oh, we're going to do it again. That's it. 2-2. Suddenly Son's running around, shushing the crowd. Everyone's going mad. This is ours for the taking. Or were you thinking, I'll take the full-time whistle now, please? Um, both, to be honest with you. I was <laughs> absolutely delighted when that goal went in. You know, I thought that we'd respond because I know, you know from the, the six games we've seen that together, Togetherness, yeah. amazing, I don't know, mentality that, that, that Anne just transformed in this team in such a short period of time. I had a feeling we would come back, not that quickly, obviously. I mean, I'd hardly, I mean, I think I took a sip of my tea, looked up and the ball, uh, you know, one-on-one. <laughs> and uh, I looked up, you know, goal, simple as that. So, yeah, it was, it was great, great goal. Yeah. A great way to respond uh, to going behind. And, yeah, of course, you know, our belief was there at the time that we could have won. But, you know, it would be a hypocrite for me to say I'm disappointed because I was someone who sat on about seven or eight podcasts uh, before the game and said, I take a point, I take a point, I take a point, and I, I'm sticking by that. It's a, it's, a, it's a very good point, like a place that we, we really struggled, especially recently, but over the years. So, yeah. yeah. Moon responded well. Loved the resilience, the the fight togetherness of this team. On another date, this this time next year, perhaps I won't be as satisfied with a point. Perhaps we can go on and win it. But we've just started our project. Arsenal are a long, long way into it. For that reason, it is it, it is a very, very strong point. It's not celebrating a win, but it's celebrating uh, a point where we've struggled in recent years, which. Arsenal fans, funny they bring that up because I seem to remember them in 2021 celebrating a 2-2 draw at home with Crystal Palace, which I don't think we've done anything like that. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you brought that yeah, up. Funny, yeah, isn't it? yeah they've forgotten that one quickly, haven't they? They forgot that. They went absolutely ballistic like they won the league. <laughs> 
So that was 2-2, and obviously, I think the only other really sort of contentious talking point in the Arsenal game was the studs-up lunge from Eddie Nketiah on Vicario. Now, we didn't make contact, but it certainly looked a little bit dodgy. I feel like the consensus is that that was a red card, but Dave's done some market research for us. So, Dave, can you uh, can you fill us in on, on the results of your independent report? Yes. So, I obviously spoke to my non-Spurs fans football group, which does have some Spurs fans in. But it's not entirely Spurs fans apart from me, which is which is different to our Spurs group. Anyway, I uh, I was very straightforward with this one. I just simply put a yeah. poll out and said, in Ketia's challenge, select one of fine, <laughs> wild, but fine. Which yeah. I don't know what I was drinking at the time. <laughs> yeah. uh, yellow or red, basically. And uh, the results, um, I got 10. I got 10 votes. One said fine. You know who you are. <laughs> was it was it the ref? Uh, one said yellow, an Arsenal fan, and eight people said red. Nobody said wild but fine, which was a shame because <laughs> I think that's what VAR said, isn't it? Wild but Pretty fine, much. I think was VAR. Yeah. yeah. Um, wow. But yeah, basically, eighty percent of my friends are football fans who are a cross section of all football fans from Premier League to non-league said. It was a red card, and I couldn't agree more. Well, that, that is wildly, wildly low. That should be in a resounding 100%, but I don't want to get dragged down into another VAR discussion. I think we've given that way too much We're saying uh, just attention. quickly that one of the people who did say it was a red card was also an Arsenal fan. Well, fair enough. Credit credit to him. Moving on, moving on, shall we? Shall we talk about the Liverpool game now? Is that more or less everything, more or less everything that we were going to say about Spurs Arsenal, yeah? So Liverpool next. So, um, Elio, I imagine the thought of playing Liverpool again sends shivers down your spine as, as bad as the fixture against Arsenal away is. Liverpool home has not been much better in recent years, has it? How are you feeling? I mean, this is a game that no matter how we play, no matter whether we go ahead, go behind and equalise, whether we outplay play them whether we get pummeled whatever happens in this game there's one true as hell thing and that is that Liverpool will get a winner within the last few minutes of the match when we think we're home <laughs> and dry so you know my my supporters believe in believing your support with this game I'm going to suspend that and just pray that Harry Kane took whatever curse is upon us <laughs> with him to Munich because this match just yep. seems to screw us every single time. I think I think Liverpool must be the team we've had the least success against in the Premier League era. I mean, we were we finished above them every mm. single season for nearly a decade or something crazy like that. And I think still only beat them once in that entire time or twice in that entire time. It, it, it's just not good fun for us in the slightest. I, I remember the opening day victory over them with the Okoto Screamer. I remember the victory I referenced last week with the last minute Pavlyuchenko winner. And I remember winning away against Liverpool with Van der Vaart. I think, scoring two goals towards the end of the season. I can't remember any other wins in the last sort of 15 years potentially against them. It's just a fixture I absolutely hate and you're not going to get anything else out of me on that. No, no, fair enough. Uh, Socks, despite what Elio has just said, and obviously you probably have similar feelings to this fixture, has what we've just seen in the Arsenal game given you a little more hope that we can hold our own against Liverpool, given that it's a home game and given that you'd imagine there will be some similarities in how the game plays out in terms of styles? The short answer is yes, absolutely. I'm feeling a, a bit more bullish about it. Like I, I agree with Elio, like, this isn't a fixture. He missed out the one, which is the last time he beat them. Uh, correct me if, if you didn't, and I just missed it, but the 4-1 at Wembley, 
in twenty seventeen, yeah, where we did actually transfer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Dejan Lovren, it's, Harry Kane mm. sent Dejan Lovren into into the bench for an early shower. He didn't mm. get sent off, but he was that bad that he actually had to get subbed off. <laughs> well, that was six years ago. So we are long over the world's but... greatest centre back in his own opinion, Dejan Lovren. <laughs> so yeah, I, the, the defensive Nicholas. I'm curious to see, like this, in a weird way. I think is. Uh, an even better litmus test, I think, than Arsenal, just because, uh, like we were saying before, we go away to the Emirates even in years that were good and we never win, hence the when winning 30 years. But home to Liverpool, we are due. And the fact that we have that home advantage with the way that we're playing with the clear midweek, I think they play tomorrow in the League Cup to Leicester. So they're obviously going to have some form of rotation. But what it does mean is that they can't tactically prepare for our game until they get that one out of the way, if nothing else. So I'm not bullish enough to say I think we're going to come out and absolutely obliterate them or anything like that. But I'm going into it with more of a sense of cautious optimism because I think the last minute dagger that we normally get more often than not is exclusively reserved for Anfield. The games that we've had against them at home haven't been with that dagger to the heart necessarily, even though we haven't done too well for a while. So I'm definitely a lot more confident about it. And again, it's a team that I'm not entirely sure what to make of them yet because they've got five wins and a draw and they they sort of look good, but at the same time, mm. your standards for them are so high because they hit 97 points and then they hit 99 points. So in a weird way, I kind of feel like I'm selling them a little bit short in my mind because the last great Liverpool side of only two or three years ago was absolutely yeah. phenomenal. But I am curious to see how we match up against them and vice versa. And I think the way we both play will lend itself to another open game. And I think I'd be surprised if this isn't another 2-2, 3-2 sort of a madness with goals kind of flying yeah. all over the shop. Like that's fu- that's fully what I expect. Yeah. Red cards, controversial decisions, a plenty all, all the good stuff. Sure. Yeah. Liverpool, Liverpool almost like the club equivalent of Son Heung Min in that they just had this bad season last year and everyone wrote them off and forgot that actually there's no reason why they can't be very, very good. And, you know, the evidence suggests that they are certainly not back to their best, but a force to be reckoned with this year. Dave, what do you make of Liverpool this year? And do you think, given how we played against Arsenal away, I don't know if football doesn't work this way, but do you think we've got enough to see them off at home? Um, in short, I think Liverpool are really good. I think they've got basically two world-class front threes, which is terrifying. But I also think they're horrifically weak at the back. And I think they are not where they need to be in midfield. I think they'll get there because I think Slavrasai, McAllister, and probably probably more importantly, Gravenberch, who hasn't really played that much yet, are all world-class and they will mm. be a very, very strong midfield. But I think this game's too soon for them and I think you're going to win. Harry, I'm going to come to you. Turning attention ahead to the Liverpool game. So obviously we've had you know, two blockbuster fixtures, bad's bad, two games that we hate, two opponents that we don't have a lot of luck against. Has this given you more confidence that we could do well against a team like Liverpool? And, and how do you see that game going any differently potentially? Yeah, absolutely. I think, again, this it's a game that we take to Liverpool. And I think defensively, again, this season, Liverpool are there for the taking. A lot tougher opponent. They've, like I said, improved on last year. Salah looks better. Uh, the midfield looks better, and even the back line looks uh, slightly better with Alexander Arnold you know, having the potential to, to you know, do well in another position as well. That they kind of trialed and found out that it can work successfully. So it'd be, it'd be tough, of course, but it's a game that I believe we, we can win and, and, and maybe will win. Uh, and yes, we, you know, if we can do it at the Emirates, we can do it at home. You know, Liverpool, I think the fans will be crucial. The 12th man Saturday night, it'd be absolutely rocking going there myself. My first time watching live, and also I'm, I'm you know, really 
looking forward to it. Yeah, really looking forward to it. I think we have a big chance. Say it now. I think I think we're winning this game, and I think that that's going to send a statement out to the likes of Liverpool, to the likes of City, to the likes of Arsenal that. You know, we will be, I think, in and around the fight. Don't expect us to win it. You know, or we will be even close to it because, like I said, so new to the project. Uh, these teams are deep into theirs. But I, I think we're more serious than people think. People yeah. are saying that the sixth will still be successful. Of course it would. But I think that, that Angie's got his eyes on a lot more than that this season. What exactly? Who knows? You know, we will have to get through that Christmas period to really find out. But yeah, I think we're winning this game. Uh, the Arsenal game is going to be confidence. Strong words. I absolutely hope you're right. And Harry, I know we've made a few jokes about how young you are compared to all of us, but I hope that optimism never wanes. I hope I hope when you're our age, you're still sitting here thinking, this time's going to be different. We're going to turn around our fortunes. Don't ever let yourself change. Don't become cynical. But it's funny you say that because the podcast, I co host Spot Lane podcast, last season I was known as, as the negative one. I was the one to moan about everything. So it's funny how, yeah. the, how the, again, the, the, the tables turn. But yeah, right now, very optimistic about what we can achieve this season. Harry, I think that probably takes us to the end of the podcast. So um, once again, thank you so much for coming. It's been a pleasure having you on. I'm sure we'll stay in touch and we'll, we'll keep a close eye on everything that you do going forward. I hope your first Plus Dave podcast experience hasn't been too traumatic. Um, and uh, and hopefully going forward, Spurs managed to live up to the hype that you've built up for them and your lofty predictions of us beating Liverpool next week are going to come true. Um, before we let you go, though, just uh, can you give us a bit of a summary of where we can find you online on your various podcasts and YouTube? and Twitter and the rest of it so uh, people can follow you and make sure they, they keep in touch with everything you're doing as well yeah absolutely firstly thank you very much for having me on uh, it's been a pleasure um, absolutely loved it Our if pleasure. you want to follow me you can there uh, Harry Scarf 22 if you want to vote for me as well in the Football Content Awards 2023 check out my pinned tweet for the Equality Inclusion and Diversity Individual Award you can go down and select my name voting closes the 8th of October um, so yeah that'd be massively appreciated if you want to subscribe to my channel Scarfy Spurs Talk uh, at the moment doing match previews match reactions and weekly live shows uh, I've got James Black known as the voice of Spurs uh, on the show in the next couple of weeks so I'm looking forward to that lovely you can find me okay yes I'm really looking forward to that every Sunday you can find me 7pm on Park Lane Podcast I believe I'm on a few podcasts as well uh, this week I'm not quite sure yeah. the dates yet so I won't, won't say because I'm not 100% sure yeah um, but yeah you, you'll probably find me somewhere so thank you very much for having me on it's, it's been great it's been an absolute pleasure and do have uh, the voice of Spurs James is it James Black his name is that right yeah James Black yes but when, if you do if you do have him on I hope you do a, a live sing-along of We're Loving Big Ange instead um, on the show um, <laughs> I've, I've got it all planned don't worry I'm working on it yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Brilliant. Well, once again, Harry, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on and keep doing what you're doing. You're doing brilliantly and I uh, can't wait to see what you've got coming up next and we'll stay in touch and let's speak thank soon. Thank you very much. All the best. All the best. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Brilliant. Well, we'll be back next week to talk all about the Liverpool game, no matter what happens. And I hope as many of you as possible can join us for that. But in the meantime, while you're there, why not jump on Twitter and send us a tweet at Plus Dave Podcast. Our email is plusdavepodcast at gmail.com. Follow me at Plus Dave Dags. Follow Elio at Elio underscore P underscore THFC. Follow Dave at Fantasy Dave. And obviously, as we've just mentioned, follow Harry as well. And go and vote for Harry. Please do vote for him for the Football Content Awards. Unfortunately, we were not nominated, which I know is a travesty. I mean, how dare they not nominate us? But um, nevertheless, thank you to everyone who did nominate us and vote for it. And also a quick shout out to the TIFO Football Podcast and John McKenzie, who have also been nominated. So everyone gets a nomination but us. It's just terrible, isn't it? Anyway, that's enough rambling from us. Thanks everyone for listening. We will see you next week for that one. Stay classy, Spurs fans, and we'll catch you in a bit.